Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 32, The Elder Wand. The world had ended. So why had the battle not ceased? The castle fallen silent in horror and every combatant laid down their arms. Harry's mind was in freefall, spinning out of control, unable to grasp the impossibility, because Fred Weasley could not be dead. The evidence of... I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Today's local group is the Northwest Nifflers, based in Boise, Idaho. But they also have a few members from Oregon, since it is 100% virtual right now. And I'm really excited for when virtual life is behind us and the people from Oregon have to just commute to Boise every week. If you'd like to find out more about the Northwest Nifflers or any other local group, check out our website, harrypottersacredtext.com, and join our community conversations. All right, Vanessa, we're reading this week's chapter through the theme of contentment, and I'm hoping you have a story for us. I do. It's more of a moment. Peter and I were sitting on the couch recently, and he was like scrolling through probably cat videos on his phone. He's a man who loves cat videos, and I love that about him. (laughs) And I was sitting, and I had like my feet in his lap, and I was reading, And the kids were actually playing Harry Potter, which is a game that gets played a lot in our house. And this overwhelming feeling of contentment washed over me. And this feeling of, oh, this is going to pass. 
the older kid is 12. And I was like, she is not going to be playing Harry Potter for much longer. It felt so much like an ephemeral moment in all of its mundanity. All I could do is want to take a snapshot of this moment. And so contentment to me feels like a meta feeling. It's the feeling of being happy that you're happy. You're Mm. noticing that you're happy and you're like, hey, look at me. I'm happy. (laughs) Which makes it so hard to read in this chapter, right? This chapter of just like minor and major tragedies. And actually, I would say a slew of major tragedies that we only get glimpses of and then one major tragedy at the end that we really get a close look at. Mm. And so I'm excited to see where we find it because I do think that sometimes in tragic moments, you can still get a snapshot of something beautiful. And it's just in the last year, we've had to look harder and harder for those moments. So this will put us to the test. I really love that idea that contentment is the self-awareness that you're feeling happy. That's such a great way to put it because when you're content, you don't want anything else. And that takes a moment to notice. Maybe this will be the first chapter where we're like, the theme does not exist. (laughs) I mean, I found moments of yearning for contentment. Yeah. Yeah. I found moments of the opposite of contentment. (laughs) Well, let's remind everyone what happens in this chapter. I actually thought of this chapter kind of like a video game. Like it's it's a level in a video game where you start in one location and you have to get to the other location past all sorts of obstacles. And when you get there, the computer like takes over and you like watch a scene that informs the next level. So that's how I'm going to give my 30 second recap. Great. I can't wait. On your mark. Get set. Go. Okay, so you're part of a trio and you're fighting your way out of the castle and there's lots of things happening, but you have a secret magical cloak. So you put on the invisibility cloak and then you're like, oh, maybe I can help my friends, but everything is happening too quickly because people are dueling everywhere um, and things are falling. And someone suddenly recognizes that there's goo floating in midair. So like, and you're like, run, 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 run. Um, And then there's giants fighting and then they nearly like land in your place where you're standing. And then um, some friends come and they help you and you go through a tree under the underground, which is now much smaller. So you get there and then you see Snape being killed by Voldemort. That was very impressive. Well, there was not a lot of specifics, but you did get a kind of like Blair Witch Project camera vision. That's why I felt nauseous during the whole thing. (laughs) That just happens when you hang out with me. (laughs) No, it was the camera work. It's not you. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So a lot of little things happen. Like Lavender gets attacked by Greyback, and I just hate that. And Trelawney is like, do you know what these crystal balls are really for? (laughs) Throwing them at people. And in the invisibility cloak, they save Draco again. Um, And they have this like really sweet fight. Like, I'll go to Voldemort. No, I'll go to Voldemort. And then they go to Voldemort and they see Snape die. And Snape sees Harry and is like, look at me. And it's just very intense. It's a lot. The thing I didn't do was a lot of the chapter is pew, pew, ooh, <laughs> ah, pew, pew, ah. <laughs> oh no, you got me, you got me. Hugger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start at the very beginning because Maria Von Trapp tells me to. It's a very good place to stop. It is. And 
I want to start with this like longing for a moment of quiet at the very beginning of the chapter, even in the sentences you read, right? Fred is dead. And like that should be everything. Mm. And it reminds me of the moments, right? Like the days that you are going to a funeral and you just like see people walking into the bank and you're like, how are you going to the bank? Like the world is over and you are sort of projecting a contentment upon the person walking into the bank. You're Mm. like, I wish my biggest problem was depositing this check. That is such a human, non-tragic level problem. Mm. And what's amazing to me about these opening lines is that the war becomes that. They're like, remember five minutes ago when the scariest, worst thing was that we were fighting and in this battle? That was cute. Now Fred is dead. And so there's this like retroactive feeling of like we were content five minutes ago and like now the world has shifted on its axis. Mm. The place where my mind is going is actually on Inauguration Day. I had planned a couple of meetings like maybe even two months ago for that day. And I just didn't realize like it wasn't in my calendar. So I I wasn't conscious of it when I scheduled them. And I ended up moving them because I was like, who knows what's going to happen, especially after the, the attempted fascist coup. And I'm so glad that I had some time just to be present for that moment because it felt like I wouldn't have been able to be present to anything else. And so that sense of like the fullness of an experience or being present to an experience in its wholeness, I think that's an element of what contentness is about. It's full. There isn't a hunger for anything else. There isn't a grasping or something. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I also think there's something about loss that can allow for contentment of simple things. Mm. Like my favorite moment of the inauguration was when Lady Gaga said, and the flag was still there and like pointed to the flag. And it felt to me in the way that she sang it, like she was like, screw you, everyone who stormed the Capitol a couple weeks ago, like the flag's still here. Mm. And I don't really like flags and I hate the Pledge of Allegiance, but In that moment where it felt like maybe Inauguration Day wasn't going to happen, I was like, yes, it does make me content, like, to look at a flag and be like, look at this normalcy. Hmm. I mean, I just wonder if any of these kids is running by a classroom, even like Binz's classroom, where they were (laughs) so bored, nobody listened, and they look back on it and are like, remember how content I was, right? Hmm. Like contentment feels like an emotion that you can project backwards and project onto other people. Yeah, that makes sense. Because the the thing I really took from the first couple of pages of this chapter was the impossibility of contentment in war. Percy doesn't want to leave Fred's body. Even Lucius on the other side is like, please, my son, right? Like there's no reprieve. And Harry can't even bear to look at Fred. There's a sense that in the midst of all of this, like no one can find contentment. So I like the way that you're pointing us to like the way in which we project it either onto other people or to other times, like looking back at classrooms. And I think that the thing about something like war, you know, something that creates trauma and post-traumatic stress is that you never get back to contentment. The next birthday party that the Weasleys are all together for, there will be a missing chair. And so I don't think that moment that I have on the couch with Peter and the kids of look at how beautiful this is, like everything is wonderful, will ever happen for Molly Weasley again. Not ever. 
I think she'll hold mm. her first grandbaby and think Fred's not here. And so I think the only contentment Molly Weasley is going to have now is projecting it onto the past. And I think that that's what trauma is, a tragic event coming back and being present with you. That's one of the definitions of trauma is that it's a presence, even though it's in the past. I'm totally with you. I mean, we saw that with Percy, right? Percy was always present with Molly, and that will be the case with Fred, except he can't come back. And at the same time, I think that projection of contentment onto the past or the remembrance of contentment only in the past can also be a trap because I do think that Molly will find moments of contentment, even if there's sadness within the loss of Fred. I still think there is a potential for contentment for her. I have to believe there is. Otherwise, how do we go on? Oh, I disagree. I really Really? think, yeah, I think like you talk to Vietnam veterans and like they've had moments of joy and they've had moments of happiness, but I don't think that they ever have that meta feeling of look how beautiful my life is Mm -hmm. because I think that grief gets better where you accept it and you can function in your life. But I think that those moments of reflection, rather than you saying, and look how beautiful my life is, that moment instead trips into the horror or, Mm. oh my God, Fred isn't here. I, I just, I don't think that that ever leaves you. I don't know. Right. But I do uh, like, at least I'm projecting contentment, looking back on my grandmother. Like there were moments where all seven of her grandchildren were playing in her pool in Los Angeles. Mm. She looked content and maybe she was, but part of me also worries that she was proud and happy and sad that her parents never knew her children. This is interesting to me because it actually helps me understand Voldemort maybe a little bit better. Because it feels like he is an archetype of someone who is never content. I mean, we see in this chapter that he basically comes to the conclusion that he has to kill Snape in order to have full control of the Elder Wand. Like, it's just another indication that with the choices he has made, like, he will never find contentment. Where can he rest? It helped me understand his name again in a different way, because usually we think about Voldemort, flight from death. We focus on the, the not wanting to die. But this time I focused on the flight, like the movement in his name. Like, he can never be in one place. He's always moving, always running, like hiding, plotting. There's never that sense of sitting at the archetypal pool maybe or, or Molly at the dinner table with the, with her whole family around her. I don't know. For me, there was nearly a connection with the fact like he shows no remorse and his lack of capacity for contentment. Like there's never an integration. Like he's just in the coldness and the calculating necessity of power. So that, that makes sense to me that if we look back at Voldemort's life, if we look at our young Riddle's life, Yes, there were serious tragedies that he experienced, and and maybe that precluded him from having an opportunity for contentment. I actually love your idea about processing emotions being a necessary component to contentment, because like I was engaged before, Mm. and if I had just jumped from the heartbreak of that ending into my relationship with Peter, I think that sitting on the couch, I would be a little bit thinking about my ex and Mm. a little bit wondering if that life would have been better. And because I had grieved that relationship and had moved on, it's not haunting me in any way. And I can just look at the sort of tableau of my beautiful life and be like, look how beautiful without that hanging over me. 
and at least this is how I've heard you talk about it, you can see the beauty of the previous relationship without it being something that's embittering or, or sad at this point. Absolutely. Okay. Can I move us to another moment of contentment in my yes. opinion? So I think that Ron, Hermione and Harry all have like brief moments of respite. Mm. And that is when the three of them are having this argument. Oh, look, it actually makes sense that I'm the one to go to Voldemort. <laughs> no, <doesn't>. no, <laughs> me. No, no, me. <laughs> and the moment of contentment is like the seconds that they are saying no me, mm. where they're imagining themselves not having to go through the horror of worrying about the closest people in their mm. lives. Right. Mm. And I think that we can have like imaginary contentment. I do this all the time. I feel like I, with both you and Ariana, right? I'll be like, oh, we're going to go on a trip together post COVID. And I like talk myself in to this moment of a post COVID life. And I'm so content imagining it. Like they all know it has to be Harry that goes, right? But I think what what they're grasping for is a moment of reprieve from the horror where they get to imagine for a second that it could be them. It's such a beautiful moment because what they're all exhibiting is the willingness to sacrifice themselves. And ultimately, they're all right. They all go to the Shrieking Shack, which is where Harry, because of his vision, knows knows where Voldemort is. So it is this this beautiful moment of solidarity. And I feel like this kind of speaks to what we were talking about before as well. Like I think of moments of contentment within really difficult circumstances. I'm obsessed with the movie Pride. This was maybe six or seven years ago. It tells the story of a group of lesbians and gays in London who support striking coal miners in in Wales and elsewhere in the UK. But there's this wonderful scene where this queer group of people has traveled up in a minibus to this small village in Wales you know, very hesitant about how they're going to be received, right? In the 1980s. And everyone's eating together or having drinks. And this one young woman stands up and sings this great kind of socialist anthem, Bread and Roses. And there is a sadness, but a resoluteness and a friendship in that moment and a mutual admiration between these two worlds. For me, there's a moment of contentness, even within the surety that not everything they want will work out. And I say that because part of me wonders if contentment isn't necessarily so much that everything is well, but that in this moment, it's okay as things are. And I think that's a real practice to to hone in on a moment like that and be like, okay, not everything is perfect, but I can be okay in this moment. I guess that's where I'm landing in my definition of contentment is that, that there's a sufficiency of, of this moment. Casper, I love that you're pointing us to characters who I do think will feel moments of contentment again. I just think because we're in a war scene, there are characters in the scene that I believe will literally never feel contentment again. You know, mm. my my dad's mom, my other grandma, she never, she literally never did. <laughs> not in my memory of her, not in any story that my father has told me about her. She believed that she sent her father to his death. Mm. And obviously that is not true, but like that, feeling was in her bones and like maybe with some trauma counseling she could have lived a different life after that but she never did and like she never took real joy in her grandchildren like she was just so mad and she did beautiful things you know her 
sister was sick for several years and lived like an hour and a half away from my grandma on the bus. And my grandma went over every day with mm. food and cooked for her and cut her toenails and right, like just took incredible care of her sister. But I think even that, like she did these beautiful things, but without any beauty in the the movements of the gesture. I find that really moving, first of all, Vanessa. And honestly, the character that I feel resonates with that is Snape. Yes. Right? Like we see him, he does do good things, but he is never feeling good as he's doing them. And there's no grace in the how. No, there's nothing redeeming. I mean, even at the end, right, the way he's killed and then even the way in which he dies, he's desperately grasping for this memory of something that was, that there was this one pure happy moment. But we know that that relationship or that infatuation, obsession with Lily, even that itself was not really full or reciprocated. And so he's he's kind of grasping at these memories that in themselves are not really even real as he's looking into Harry's eyes, right? Wanting to see Lily's eyes. I guess I'm just seeing the depth of the the sadness that he has lived with and has done his best to make do with without ever really finding contentment. Yeah, that's powerful. I love that. I love that for so many reasons. First of all, I love thinking of my grandma as Snape. I'm like, yes, she was Snape. She sacrificed so much and did so much and like never with kindness. Yeah. So I'm like, that is so helpful. Thank you for helping me understand my onion. <laughs> and then also I love this visual of these two characters that you've called us to see as non-content, right? Mm. Of Voldemort and Snape. And they... <laughs> are not content for totally different reasons, right? Like Voldemort is not content because he's always striving for more. And Snape is not content because he can't live with what he did in the yes. past. Yes. And I just find that so compelling. These two men who are like standing there instrumentalizing each other and are both in like the same existential place and that existential place manifests itself in such different ways. Mm-hmm. Can you help me with one moment that I found really beautiful and confusing, yep. which is Harry, Ron, Hermione are now outside, giants are fighting, and suddenly as the giants disappear, the Dementors come. And all three of them try to cast a Patronus and, and kind of splutter and fail. And then suddenly we have these Patronuses coming from Seamus, Ernie, and most importantly, Luna. And that kind of retrieves them from this well. I mean, Harry even says that he's kind of looking forward to falling into the despair, right? There's a relief that he nearly feels for, from the Dementors coming. And we know that everything about casting a Patronus is about finding a happy moment. And Luna literally says, again, think of something happy. And they can't. The three of them really struggle until, until they're surrounded by these other Patroni. So do we learn something about the difference between contentment and happiness here? That just really sat with me. I couldn't quite figure that one out. Oh, I don't see it as a difference between contentment and happiness. The answer to me is in what Luna says, like we're still here. Mm. And that's the thing that she finds happiness in. And I think for Harry, Ron and Hermione, they're like, no, we're not. Fred's gone. And so it's the definition of we... Yeah. I think that Harry is able to conjure a Patronus because Luna shows up and he's like, God, right? Like, <laughs> you beautiful thing. Mm. But yeah, to me, it's about that we and the fact that Luna is like, look, we are all still here and 
the trio's like super not. Nope. I've been thinking a lot about what the point <laughs> of a religious leader is, like in the midst of hopelessness. And I guess we we always talk about Luna and as this sort of priestly figure or religious leader figure. And and I guess that's what she's doing here again, which is she's she's shifting Harry's gaze to look at Ernie, to look at Seamus, to look at Luna, and to, as you said, to kind of see who is here. She's saying, you know, we're next to you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Okay, there are two, like, lovely moments that I want to draw our attention to. And the first one, I already feel shame over calling lovely, but whatever. (laughs) There's a lot of tying up moments that happen earlier in the books in this chapter. First of all, Ron punches Draco. Oh, which is just like such a callback to Hermione, you know, slugging him earlier in the books. But also he does it straight after saving Draco's life. Yeah. I don't know if we can call that contentment, but there is at least some sort of poetic justice. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah. He wants Draco to be made a little smaller. He's like, I don't want you to disappear, but don't be this. Yes. (laughs) Be better. (laughs) Okay. And then the other moment is this like lovely callback to book one, this these two exchanges between Hermione and Ron that are both called back <laughs> in the conversation about opening the Whomping Willow. So Hermione says to Ron, are you a wizard or what? Which is what 
Ron says to Hermione when she's like, oh, if only we had fire in book one (laughs) with the devil snare. And Ron's like, dude, you're a witch. Like, do it. And then the other one is obviously that, like, he has learned how to do Wingardium Leviosa, which she taught him how to do. And I do think they possibly have a moment of, like, love contentment in this moment, even though it's, like, a smaller sliver of contentment. I think they're looking at each other and are like, look how we've changed each other and, like, learned from each other. And it's just, like, the best. And I have nothing smart to say about it except that I like it. (laughs) I totally feel you. I actually would say there's another moment, which is as the kind of scene opens in this chapter... Very quickly, they have to escape from the place that they're in because there's Death Eaters. And Hermione is the one whose magic gets them out of the situation in two ways. She turns the stairs into a slide so that they kind of slide out of the way and then turns tapestries into stone. So the Death Eaters who are chasing them like hit this kind of hard object. And Hermione has always really been nervous about her skills in defense against the dark arts. And she's not per se like using traditional dark arts defense spells, but she's using her surroundings to defend against the dark arts. Like she's going to first principles and doing it really effectively. So there's just something very beautiful in how she is using what she has to do the work of defense against the dark arts. Oh, I love that. Like just because you don't necessarily have a skill that's necessary for the situation or that feels necessary, just like use your skills. Right. Right. Like she's fully herself as a grown witch. I love that. Okay, Casper, so there's one other thing that I'm like, we have to talk about, which is Trelawney being like, these crystal balls are for throwing. (laughs) And I wonder if there's a moment of contentment in that. And she's like, I'm not actually good at divination as far as crystal balls go. I don't freaking need these things. They are literal weights in my life. And like, She's just going to use them to do something good and leave it all behind her and like ride off into the sunset crystal ball free. I think there's two really important moments that are connected. One of them is her liberation from that role that she's been in. And the other is that the Slytherin emeralds from the measurement system up in the Great Hall fall to the floor. And we have talked literally every season about the problems of the house system. And it feels like here is a piece of the Hogwarts system, infrastructure, way of doing things that is literally crashing apart. And I'm not saying that it's happening in a good way, but what I am saying is that there are things being broken that do not have to be repaired. In this moment, there's a promise of a different future because it's broken apart. And it feels like both of these things involve like crystal emerald things falling from the sky. I was like, they seem connected in my mind in this chapter. Oh, absolutely. So friends, we are continuing with our practice of Lectio today, and I've chosen a little snippet of text that really stood out to me this time, which is, Though the night was windless. So Vanessa, let's start with step one and think about what's the literal meaning of this phrase in the text. In my edition, it's on page 522, which is about halfway through the chapter of the Elder Wand. So this is the trio arriving at the Whomping Willow. And 
the text tells us that even though the night was windless, Harry can hear the lake, he can hear the creaking of the trees in the Forbidden Forest, and of course, all of the chaos of the war. But the other thing that's just happened is that Harry can half believe that he can outdistance death itself. So there's this interesting moment of connection between Voldemort and Harry, right? Like, obviously, they've just had a moment of mind melding. Harry's moving towards him. And there's this sense that, like, danger is approaching in this windless night. Yeah, he also seems to be trying to make meaning of the fact that, like, the environment doesn't make sense, right? The Mm. lake is crashing like the sea and the forbidden forest, like the trees are creaking, even though the night was windless. And so the environment is upset about what's happening and is responding. Yeah. My guess is that something is giants. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think right like in the lake. Maybe it's the giant squid. It's the giant squid. Yeah. (laughs) Who's trying to fight from down below or I I think. He has water pistols. He's like, take this death eater. Take that Dementor. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Let us move swiftly on to stage two. This is where we want to open our imaginative mind and think of any kind of allegorical meanings that we can conjure. What other poems, pieces of art, stories does our mind connect with this piece of text? Though the night was windless. It reminds me of our beloved friend, Terry Tempest Williams, who secondary to being our friend is like this famous poet and writer and environmental activist. And she was asked to write a poem that was an obituary to the land as the fires raged in the American West in the middle of all of those awful fires in September. And she wrote a line that really stuck with me. Um, Because even as you burn, you throw down seeds that will sprout and flower. And we all know that I have mixed feelings about hope. but, (laughs) But I just wonder about the impact of this war on the Forbidden Forest and on the lake. You know, we often think of fires in terms of rightfully the people who are displaced and the animals who are displaced, but the land itself fights back. And so I'm just suddenly wondering about the trees. Mm. What about you, Casper? What does it remind you of? I have a weird collection of thoughts. One is the way in which a vacuum is created, right? When all the air is sucked out of a space, like different rules apply. And I'm thinking also of the way in which when air is taken out of our lungs, just that the impact of COVID, the need for intubation, like I'm just seeing all of these kind of images of windlessness when you're winded. Of course, the the phrase that we so associated with Black Lives Matter of I can't breathe, just the way in which we need air, we need wind, we need the movement of air for life itself. And so there's something that this whole phrase is kind of tinged with death, which makes sense. Like Harry is going towards death. This is I'd kind of forgotten until we read this chapter that actually he's going towards Voldemort already here. Like, it's not just the walk in the forest. It's the crawl to the Shrieking Shack, which is another moment of, like, Harry approaching his death. Casper, that leads me to step three, if you don't mind. Yeah, let's do it. Which, you know, is what this reminds us of in our own lives. And I know I've told this story on the podcast before, but I had the wind knocked out of me once. And that lack of air, I was sure I was dying. Mm -hmm. 
I really don't think I'll ever forget the feeling of the air coming back into my lungs. Like when you get the wind knocked out of you, there's that choking moment where for some biological reason that I'm sure the doctors and nurses and other medical professionals listening to this could tell me about, or just people who know things, (laughs) there's a couple of seconds or dozens of seconds where you can't get air back. You're going, you're like Mm. choking on the ability. And then all of a sudden you can breathe. And I could visualize my lungs like inflating again. And I just think there's no better feeling than like getting air into your lungs. It's a practice I do every day. You know, I I hike with the dog almost every day. I live less than a mile from a beautiful little forest. And I always take a moment to just like fill my lungs. I imagine that even though I'm still in the middle of the city because I'm amongst trees, there's like more oxygen. (laughs) And I always try to take a deep couple of breaths and be like, oxygen, purify me. I always remember how, I don't know if this is also true in like modern Hebrew, but in biblical Hebrew, the word for air is the same word for spirit, ruach. And so that sense of like, maybe where the divine lives is in the air we breathe, that that sense of like spirit and air being the same thing. I just love that kind of poetic image as well. In my own experience, I'm suddenly, I'm really fixated on the word night and I'm remembering the Christmas carol, Lo, Our Rosa Blooming, when half spent was the night is like one of the little lyrical phrases. And I'm just remembering like recording those Christmas carols this year and like sharing them on Instagram and in the run up to Christmas and how sad I was not to be able to sing with people, but that there was still something, something in that practice of like posting a Christmas carol every day. So like, It's a songless song. I don't know. There's like a a kind of weird juxtaposition of sharing a piece of music, but like not actually singing it at the time of sharing it. So that's, that's what it's making me think of in my own life. Well, let's move to our final step then and think about, is there an action that we feel called to take? Is there, is there something in this text, in this process of reflection that illuminates a path forward that we want to follow? So I'll read it once more. Though the night was windless. Oh my gosh. I've been very angry and sad the last few days. You know, the incoming administration basically said there's no COVID plan at a federal level to undo because there was no plan. And we knew that, right? There's more than 400,000 people dead. So many businesses have closed. So many people are unemployed. I just find it absolutely infuriating because it feels like 10 and a half, 11 months later, we're starting from square one. Oh, it's murder. By neglect. It is. It is. I really appreciate you saying that because that is what it is, like at a federal level. And it makes me feel hopeless and it makes me feel like, well, what's even the point of anything, you know? And what this sentence is helping me remember is like, though the night was windless, Harry still moves forward. The trio still seek out Voldemort. And I mean, it feels trite maybe, but it's just like, I have to keep going. Like we all have to keep going, even though it's windless. So I guess it's like, it's not, it's not a, a concrete like to-do list action, but it's like a heart space, just one step after another, even though it was murderous and it, and it must be seen as that. I really appreciate you saying that. How about you, love? So you and I are in very different planes in response to this, <laughs> this quote, but it recalled me to an action that actually I feel like is very involved with you, which is I feel like you and I are really good about doing things like night swims and stuff in the summer. And I am just so bad about enjoying winter nights. I'm like resentful of the fact that they are 
dark by four that it's like not winter nights. It's winter afternoons. Yes. I like start working earlier so I can leave to walk the dog at 3.30 because I can't walk her after 3.30 because it is pitch black. Anyway, it caused me to start like finding ways to enjoy winter nights. They Mm. are beautiful and like clear and I need to learn about the stars or something because otherwise (laughs) the days are short. See, my solution is just being like, watch more movies. <laughs> I read a lot in the winter because I'm like in bed by eight. And believe it or not, because I'm not a seven year old, I'm not like exhausted. So <laughs> this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimold Place. So you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our voicemail this week is from Sam. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. This is Sam calling from Jamaica Plain. I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning in 2016 and was at the first live show and am a a longtime fan. I'm calling to make an observation about Harry's use of the unforgivable curses in Gringotts and then later in the Ravenclaw common room. And what I noticed is that when Harry's able to use those curses successfully, it's with Draco's wand, not his wand. And, you know, you guys talked about how uh, maybe the stage of the battle had changed and that was why Harry was able to do that. But I think it also has something to do with the fact that, you know, the equipment he's using is different. And I'm curious to get your guys' take on how equipment or clothing or, or the things we carry can change us in ways either conscious or or unconscious. So would love to hear your takes on that. 
and want to also offer a blessing to, to you all and the community for everything you've done to help people navigate an incredibly challenging year. Uh, this podcast is just so wonderful for, for me and many listeners, and I'm really grateful. So bless you guys for everything you're doing. Blessings to everyone as we end the year, and would love to hear your take on Draco's Wand. Sam! Hi! You're just like a couple miles away in the beautiful Jamaica Plain where Ariana Rory and I went on a beautiful walk recently. So good to talk to you. The difference between wands is a very different question to me than the answers that I feel in my life. I notice this kind of thing with shoes. If I wear boots on my hike, right, like I can walk through puddles and it allows me to walk in a totally different way than if I wear sneakers where I do feel like I can go a little faster and like grip things with my toes better, right, like climb some rocks better. And so like it's this like daily fight within myself. I'm like, do I want to have to avoid mud but get to climb rocks or do I want to be able to walk through mud? You know, and I I feel that way very much with like our cell phones also of if I don't bring my cell phone on a walk, I just like have a totally different experience. And I don't think necessarily a better one. I listen to books while I walk a lot. And I love that. I love walking and listening to a novel. But I also then like check work stuff while I'm walking. Right. So I can only think of the way tools change us like that. But I, I do think that they can materially change our experiences. Yeah, Casper, do you have thoughts specifically about Harry carrying Draco's wand? Is it like a permission? Like this wand has done other evil things. It's fine if it does more. Yeah, I wonder if it like facilitates that because we know that the relationship with the wand is reciprocal. The wand shapes the wizard, the wizard shapes the wand. Like there's some sort of magical connection there. So the thing I'm thinking about, and this is, a, oh gosh, I'm stepping to the side. I want to be really clear that I do not condone like Death Eater cosplay, but I'm thinking about the way in which drag, when we're putting on makeup, costumes, outfits, right? Like they change us. So many people describe that when they're in drag, they feel invincible or they feel stronger or they feel more more able to do things that they otherwise wouldn't. And so I'm wondering if there's like wand drag in the wizarding world. Like, you know, may- maybe it allows you to step into a different way of being that your own wand wouldn't. So I'm totally captivated by this reading. That's really interesting. It, it makes me think about where else in the text do we see people using other wands when Ron's wand is broken? Like what kind of magic do they co-create with that wand? Thank you so much, Sam. And thank you, everyone, for sending in your voicemails. We have the most incredibly thoughtful, compassionate, insightful listening community. Honestly, it's just a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. We now want to take a moment to remember some people who have died from the coronavirus who were beloved by members of that incredible community. Peter Combist, who is 93 and was a veteran and immigrant, and an incredible rice pudding master. Joe Forrest, who was 90 and a beloved mother and grandmother. Chris Toshkoff, who was 86 and a husband, father, brother, uncle, and veteran. Dr. Leonardo Aponte, who was 86 and a beloved community doctor. John Weitzel, who was 72 and was a generous hearted teacher and Anne Mora, 89, who was the best grandma. 
Thank you all for helping us remember these incredible people and the lives that they lived. May their memory be a blessing. So Vanessa, it's time for us to offer a blessing. And I am going to bless Severus Snape. This is the chapter in which he dies. He has been a presence throughout every book, a character we've hated, we've respected, we've struggled with, we've blamed, we've cajoled. And in this chapter, I saw a desperation in him that I think has always been there, but that we now really got to see in its fullness. The way he says to Harry, look at me, look at me, this final effort in which he's sharing his memories, which later we're going to be able to dive into. The final act, just everything about it felt desperate. And I I just want to bless him and anyone who's at the end of what they have to give, just at this place of total desperation and a blessing of love and comfort as much as we can give that through your ears, just knowing how much I wish we could give you all a big hug and be together. And I'm so sorry we can't. How about you, Vanessa? Yeah, Casper, thank you so much for that beautiful blessing. I'm going to bless Lavender Brown, Mm. who I've blessed on Women of Harry Potter, and Ariana's blessed on stage, and she deserves all the blessings. I would really like to believe she survives. She falls off of a balcony and then gets attacked by Greyback. But Greyback does get quickly killed in his attack of her. And we've seen from Bill that... You can survive an attack from Greyback. So I would like to bless her for what I would imagine is a really difficult recovery. Mm. She has sustained, I would imagine, really horrible injuries, right? Like falling off of a balcony and then being attacked by a vicious person is physically difficult. And then, you know, we've talked a lot about trauma in this episode. So also, I would imagine, very traumatic And she's someone who we've always enjoyed for her love of divination, for looking toward the future and trying to divine it. And I hope that that stays with her as she's on this long road to recovery. So I would like to offer a blessing to Lavender and to anyone who is going through a long slog of recovery right now, be that from something emotional, physical, psychological. Lavender will get through it. And so will you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find listeners who are discussing this episode in the Facebook common room. Please join our community of local groups and come and join the wonderful people supporting us on Patreon. We could not create this podcast without each and every one of them. We love reading your reviews on iTunes, listening to your voicemails, and thank you so much to everyone who's already invested in making our new podcast. It kicks off in just a matter of weeks. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 33, The Prince's Tale, one of my ultimate faves, through the theme of accompaniment. This episode was a Not Sorry production, executive produced by Ariana Nettleman, with music by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and were distributed by Acast. This week's voicemail was from Sam. Thanks to Molly Baxter, our new intern, Julia Argie, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Purcell. We'll be with you all again next week. Bye-bye. I've always wanted to run some sort of like male initiation club in Boise, Idaho, so it could be called Boise to Men.
<laughs> I just think of that every time I see Boise. <laughs> <laughs> that genuinely tickled me. <laughs> <laughs>